Welcome to the Natural Health Podcast. We bring awareness to sustainable health in the business hustle space. Natural Health Podcast is perfect for the high-performing business-minded individuals who want to work with their biochemistry to achieve success and optimal health. It's Friday, which means it's time for friends sharing facts about health, business, and overall success. In today's episode, we talk to Valeria Zaharova. I hope I pronounced that right. (laughs) She comes from Russia and has lived in Asia and now calls Australia home. She's a naturopath and a herbalist working with digestive issues, mental health, addictions, and pain management. Some hobbies that Valeria absolutely loves doing is she loves permaculture and organic gardening. She loves painting and uses watercolors oil bells colors and gel paint pens to paint and unwind. She loves traveling to nature and bushwalks as a form of exercise. A fun fact about Valeria is that she can speak a little bit of Vietnamese and she takes a lot of psychology courses on a weekly basis. And she was wild when she was younger and has many scars to remember this as a memory. <laughs> Welcome to the Natural Podcast, Valeria. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Michaela. Nice to see you. How are you? Nice to see you too. So Vietnamese, the only thing that I remember when I went to Vietnam is Vietnamese coffee. Like that was amazing. Mm-hmm. Yes. They have the one that's like in three stages and a lot of sugar. Usually, Yes. Of sugar. I guess that's why it was amazing. And that back then <laughs> I had a lot of sugar and I had a lot of dairy and it was condensed milk and yeah. it was this and that. Yeah. And I was like, this is amazing. Mm-hmm. This is like a smoothie, mm-hmm. not a coffee. <laughs> They love it, yes. And obviously, they're the main growers of um, coffee worldwide and they export it everywhere. So, yeah, they, they know it's how to do it right. Yeah, and you're right. They are too. Not many people think about Vietnam when they think about coffee, do they? Mm, yes, they don't. But there's a lot of coffee coming out of Vietnam. Um, there's a few interesting things like um, they've got this animal. I, can't, I don't actually know if they still sell it, but they've got this animal who will eat the coffee and they will use... It doesn't get digested, um, doesn't get broken down. So it comes for the digestive system untouched pretty much. And then they sell that as well. And it's considered to be, you know, like a, a luxury uh, coffee. So, yeah. If yeah. Work, yeah. Premium <laughs> coffee. I remember when I was in Vietnam, I actually went to one of those farms. I kind of felt bad for the animals. They were there and they were like high on stuff. They were like running around like crazy. Um, but, yeah, that coffee is considered absolutely premium and specialty. But when you think about it, you're like this. This is an animal's poo, like. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. Yes. Mm-hmm. Us humans are different. On a label. So, like, you, you have no question. You exactly know what you're drinking. But, yeah, it's actually a lot uh, a lot more expensive than the other coffee would be, obviously, because it has to go for the animal. Who would have thought? Yeah, I know. It's absolutely mm-hmm. crazy. Well, there you go. So, <laughs> look, Valeria, you yourself, even introducing, you have been through a lot. You know, you've lived in different countries, yeah. done a few things. But what has led you to where you are now? I mean, you're a naturopath mm. and a herbalist. Did, was that when you were a kid, you were like, you know what, I'm going to be a naturopath, I'm going to be a herbalist. Like, where did that come from? Like, what were the key turning points to get you here now? That's right. Well, it was. It had a lot to do with my childhood. Uh, even though I lived in the city, uh, every summer I'd go to my grandparents who lived in the countryside. And they were notorious for growing their own food. Um, they would always treat me with uh, natural medicine if I had any sniffles. And being a child, you naturally just get, you know, all those colds and flus. Um, I didn't know any different. And they'd take me to all the bushwalks. So I assumed that a lot of that passion and a lot of that connection to nature came from my grandparents. Um, and then living in Asia, um, um, a lot of the time people would turn to traditional Chinese medicine for um, for any health elements, um, which was quite revealing to me. I was um, I was astonished to see that the traditional Chinese medicine looks at your nails, at your tongue, you know, that checks your iris and all of that. It was fascinating. And then they give you liters of concoctions to drink, um, you know, those stinky herbs. And people loved it. They chose that over allopathic medicine. So that had a massive imprint on on me um, for sure. But I didn't realize this until I came to Australia and I started living on my own. And I realized I don't have any herbs in my penitentiary. I don't, I'm not growing any food and um, having traveled so much, I started having digestive issues. Uh, went to the doctors. They just gave me pills, didn't give me any answers, didn't check my tongue, didn't check my nails. I'm like, something's not right here. So I just became a naturopath so that I could look after the community in Australia and um, look after the people that I love, including myself. Wow, that's, that's amazing. Yeah, we underestimate the effect that our parents, our grandparents, the individuals Mm -hmm. in our life. Because I mean, you growing up, you wouldn't have known any different. You would, you would have been like, okay, I'm sick, so I drink this soup or get these herbs. It's not, I take a painkiller from your parents or grandparents, right? (laughs) 
Yes, grandparents. Yeah, we had no painkillers in our house. Long, wow. long until I was like in my late teens, my parents also haven't used any painkillers. There might have been like an occasional, you know, headache pill, but that's about it. So it was always natural medicine. So I guess my parents were also, you know, of that uh, mindset. But it was never discussed. It was never compared. It was never like, oh, you know, this is different to what other people are doing. It was just a normal way of life, like you said. So I, yeah, I didn't know any different until I started living on my own. And I'm like, oh, hold on a minute. <laughs> What's going on here? So I went back to my roots and I went back to what I knew best. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I mean it would have been a bit of a shock um, coming back mm. or coming to Australia. And, you know, a lot of individuals, not that there's anything wrong with that, do take um, painkillers or when they have the flu they mm. they don't look at the natural things that can do and yeah. you're like, wow I thought what I was doing everyone else does so it would have been a bit of a yes. uh, wake up like wow and that's why you decided to yeah. study it right yes it just wasn't um it wasn't enough on questions answered that I had it wasn't enough for me to be like okay yes this is going to do something even though absolutely in acute situations you know it does an amazing trick um but I I needed to know I guess what that inside of you was like, I want to know. Yeah, quite inquisitive and quite curious. So, you know, that mind of mine, I was like, oh, why didn't you ask me that? Or why didn't you explain this? And they were just rule me off, you know, like, oh, your five minutes are off next, (laughs) you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, that's Um, it. You know, having been, like you've mentioned, uh, a wild child, I've obviously had my own. fair share of mental health you know challenges as a result um and again same same situation people would just rule me off and be like oh no you just you know you're just imagining things and I'm like oh okay okay so yeah. then I just started digging deeper um and I guess combining you know what I was already um exposed to as a child and then building up on that uh with um, the beautiful world of neutropathy yeah amazing yeah. and now you practice as a naturopath and a herbalist Yes, indeed. Yes. So I work as a naturopath and a herbalist and I mainly focus on um, obviously gut health always, um, but also mental health, addictions, pain management, um, and I do touch on uh, reproductive system. Yeah. Wow. That, that's absolutely amazing. And mm. what what I want to know, Valeria, is, you know, optimal health, uh, the question of what is optimal health. So what, and success and and success, right? Mm. So what does optimal health look like for Laria today? Uh, Because I guess it would have changed throughout the years. And what does success look like for you? All right. Uh, So optimal health for me always starts with self-awareness. Going back into me and actually listening to what the needs of my body are, finding that harmony between the mind and the body, uh, being able to then, you know, transfer that into ready and positive energy um, that, you know, spreads around those who, you know, get into my aura space um, and learning, uh, learning along the way. That's what optimal health is to me, because I don't think we can ever reach a stage where we know everything. Um, and every patient that comes uh, that comes through, I absolutely learn from them more than I ever learned from the books. Everyone has, you know, a piece of a puzzle that we carry to create that story of life. Um, so I enjoy learning, um, which kind of rolls into my understanding of success at the moment. That is being able to freely work and do what I love professionally um, and also see people's lives transfer because of it for the better. Yeah, what a beautiful view that you said that your patients teach you more than any mm. book would. And it's like that's when you're actually allowing these individuals to come and 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 open themselves up about what they're going through, about their health, and you're learning from that. So it's a win-win situation for both yourself mm. and from the patient because they're getting the results with your knowledge that you've got. Absolutely. Yes. I really, uh, I really enjoy communicating with people one-on-one, whether it's, you know, um, via telehealth or uh, in person. And again, that probably actually rolls back to traditional Chinese medicine and how much imprint it had on me, uh, because I do believe that everyone, everyone has a gift, um, no matter of their position in life. And you can always learn uh, from the person next to you. Yeah, I love that. That's 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 mm. self-awareness at its best. <laughs> so I'm so excited to talk to you about today's topic, right? Because it's a huge topic. It has yes. been a huge topic, but especially with everything that's happening, it's even become a bigger topic in my eyes that I see anyway. So let's mm. talk about today's topic, 
addicted to Netflix, shopping or food, find out how to get out of this addiction circle. So uh, a lot of us are kind of stuck in the circle, having to be stuck at home, not being able to communicate with people. It's like, what do we do? We we do online shopping from Netflix, we move to online shopping, from online shopping, we move to getting food and, and the addiction continues on um, on a day-to-day basis. And now we're stuck, well, we're kind of going back to normal, I guess. And it's like, well, how do I get out of this addictive circle that I put myself into? But to start off, what is an addiction for us to get a bit of understanding? I think you could talk hours about what addiction, but if we could just simplify for the for, for the audience, what, what is an addiction? Yes. Um, I love how you've mentioned that what we endured in the last uh, couple of years has led us to that habit of, um, you know, having everything delivered to the house and mainly, you know, being uh, in our safe space in here. And absolutely that would have triggered uh, a lot more of those uh, compulsions and obsessions. Um, An addiction goes under the umbrella of mental health uh, disorders and mental health disorders are, it's, it's a big umbrella, right? And, um, the current treatment that we have for all of those, which would be, you know, anxiety, depression, we've got ADHD in there, we've got schizophrenia in there, we've got bipolar disorder, we've got addictions and a lot more. Um, It's a huge area uh, of the human health um, that we currently don't treat efficiently. So even though we've got um, all these plans on how to address it, we've got more people on prescription medication. We've got more visits to the psychologist's offices. We have more people with depression. We have more suicide rates. Um, And this is like even prior to what we had to endure recently. Um, On average in Australia alone, we have about 4 million people having mental health conditions um, in any given year. And over half of our population in here will experience some form of mental health um, abnormality within their life. That is huge. That is like half. So it's pretty much every second person you meet Mm. uh, will endure something um, that deserves, you know, attention, that deserves um, respect and actual treatment. I think beyond blue last year, they said that they, their phone calls has uh, have increased by 21%. So we can imagine what the situation is like now. Yeah, I saw that, and and the surge in Victoria was higher than any state. Mm, absolutely, uh, I saw those statistics; they were crazy. And also, they um, looked into this is moving a bit away from the Netflix and stuff like that. Mm. But they looked at drugs, and mm. and and in they looked at the sewage and uh, mm. all around Victoria, and it, and 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 alcohol, alcohol and drugs went up. In, in, yes. in especially in regional areas yes. um in victoria which was yeah which was a bit like oh wow okay that's interesting mm. and that plays mm. a role in the addictions right too absolutely does and another interesting fact you actually mentioned the sewages uh everything that goes for our body uh it then goes to the sewage system and it's filtered and then we have that water back in our uh in our taps um the way that it's filtered it doesn't actually remove the chemicals Uh, So it doesn't remove antidepressants if you're on them. It doesn't remove lithium if you're on it. uh, And it doesn't remove the um, illicit drugs if you're on them. So indirectly, you partially are consuming this if you are not doing additional filtering to your water, which needs to be obviously, you know, recognized and addressed and is never spoken about. I'm so glad you brought that up. I'm so glad Mm. you brought that up because Mm. even you just saying that, a lot of people will be listening and going, what is that is that what Mm. tap water is is that what Mm -hmm. tap water is Mm -hmm. it's like what no way and it's and it's crazy Mm. because that's exactly what it is right and as so many medications um let's put fluoride aside there's so many medications that you are taking every day Mm -hmm. if you're drinking tap water you're taking them without a prescription Without a prescription. Exactly. Exactly. And then we wonder why our health is deteriorating. And it's so unfortunate to see how people just take it as it is. And they're like, oh, it's a part of aging. You know, it's a part of life. It's not. No, you can successfully live into your 82 years old, you know, 90s feeling full of life, you know, bouncing out of bed at 6 a.m. in the morning. You absolutely can. And I know people like that. So it can be done. But Mm -hmm. we just have to be a lot more conscious with what is going on around us, what is going into our body for the skin, through the mouth, for the air, you know, or for information, whatever it is. Yeah. It's an ongoing Um, cycle. But even individuals who may be coming off, let's say, drugs or prescription, if they're drinking, I'm going back to that water, 
Um, yeah, it's not really helping them get off it because they may be getting small no. percentage of it back in. That just blew my mind. Yeah, yes. it's that point that you said, and I'm sure the audience might be listening and being like, "Oh, okay, I need to get that water filter now, like yesterday." Yes, water you know? filter all the way. Absolutely. Yeah. It's like what? What's a way to break your addiction? Get a water filter. <laughs> Step number one. Yes, there's a lot of steps. Step number one. Uh, yeah. Make sure you drink clean water. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That, that's absolutely amazing. Mm-hmm. So, look, um, in regards to addictions, you're mentioning it's yeah. mental health, uh, falls under mental mm-hmm. health and so forth. Mm-hmm. But the one question that I have is, is like some of us love cooking. Some of us may love going to the gym or running because it makes us feel amazing, right? Um, you know, dancing, painting, would they be considered positive addictions? Does does a thing like a positive addiction even exist? Or is it not an addiction because it's beneficial for you? Or is it even beneficial for you? Like, do you see where I'm going? Like, I absolutely see where you're going. And um, you could use, an, in a non-scientific way, you could use the term addiction to something that is giving you a, um, a benefit. But we're usually calling this, you know, positive habits or even rituals that, you know, you get involved mm. in on a daily basis and um, they they benefit you, they benefit those around you, um, like a morning, morning jog, right? If you're going for a run, um, but if you skip one and you don't go and then you're grumpy for the rest of the day, mm, what's going on here, right? So the way that the brain works, it doesn't actually differentiate between the good and the bad input as long as it's getting those chemicals, those neurochemicals that it um, it lacks. Um, to a large degree, that means that we can choose um, our poisons, right? The good or the bad, um, to a large degree, but there is a big chunk uh, of this that we cover in mental health where a person is actually not particularly capable of making that decision because of the drastic disruption in their chemical profile. So, you know, people can be addicted to drugs or they can be addicted to alcohol, but they can also be addicted to, um, gambling, sex, they can be addicted to shopping, they can be addicted to binge eating, right? Or even suffering and pain. And it's interesting how if we talk about suffering for a moment, um, your body is designed to protect you at all times. So when you're in pain, when you're struggling, um, it's releasing all these chemicals and alongside, um, you know, the inflammatory chemicals or the chemicals that will stimulate your heart and make you run faster. It's also releasing endorphins to make sure that you are in a right state of mind to tackle the issue. What happens to the brain then is the brain gets addicted to that event that just occurred. So suddenly you become addicted to suffering or become addicted to drama. You start seeking that your brain is looking for an opportunity to create mm. some drama or to create some uh, suffering so that it can experience that, you know, massive cocktail of um, chemicals again. And as we know, uh, with negative uh, emotions, we experience them a lot stronger and the response in our bodies is a lot stronger than with positive ones. So you'll remember them better. And they actually trigger you a lot more. If you're prone to mental health conditions, then it is most likely you will be tar- uh, you will be wired to seek those negative experiences rather than positive ones. Um, if you are, however, looking after your body and you're in a healthy homeostasis, then you can successfully achieve those um, those good hormones from um, ordinary activities. Another thing that I think is worth mentioning is brain plasticity. So when we're young, um, we're very flexible. We learn a lot. We learn from our parents. We take that as a blueprint for the rest of our life sometimes. Uh, And by the age of 35, those programs and patterns are usually set in stone. I call this the comfort zone, quote, quote. Um, The comfort because you could have picked up on the pattern that is completely destructive to you, that is unhealthy, but yet it's your comfort zone. So you can't actually get out of that behavior because it is now solidified in your neuronal pathways. Um, There's a great book written by... um, Um, by a chiropractor in the States. His name is Joe Dispenza. He dedicated his life in studying the brain plasticity and the mind and how to overcome um, the, you know, hard software that is no longer functioning in our benefit. The book is called Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself, 
highly recommend that um, to the listeners. Um, it really gives you a good insight as to how we can start to change those patterns mm. without having to, um, you know, drastically necessarily run away, change our lifestyle as of today. Um, the topic of today, which is, you know, um, Netflix, uh, it is um, eating lots of foods and it is lots of shopping. This is not typically considered um, an illegal activity. This is uh, not uh, considered even an addiction, right? So we would label uh, ourselves that. Um, that means um, that if anything, these addictions are encouraged. They're yes. encouraged for marketing, they're encouraged for color, for fonts, for music that goes along with it, for advertising. There's everything around those three things that is designed to keep you watching more and getting, being engaged more and more. And you're not going to end up in jail. If the more you watch Netflix, you're not going to go to jail. The more you shop, exactly. you're going to exactly. go to jail unless you use someone else's credit card that you're not supposed to use. Um, you know, it's it's you're right. It's not an illegal activity. It's something that mm. we actually encourage mm. to do. It We're is encouraged. to watch something and sit there and turn our mind off and Mm. not think (laughs) and be hypnotized with what's happening exactly um and and this is when we go back to consciousness you know and being able to recognize am i spending too much time in solitude binge eating and binge watching have (laughs) i actually called my parents recently do i have fulfilling events in my life that bring me joy and bring me health Or um, am I only on that road? So one of the ways to find out that you are addicted uh, is to actually realize that you're you're seeking that. You are. Um, it's a compulsive behavior, right? It's an obsessive behavior. You're thinking about it. You're expecting it. You you've got the desire to have it, and if you don't have it, you can become irritable. You can become aggressive. Um, with more severe addictions, you can start experiencing, you know, physical symptoms of like headaches or sweating, um, body aches and pains. And this is more of, you know, talking about heavy addictions like alcohol or um, or medication even or drugs or pain medication. I've, I have cases with pain medication addictions. Um, have seen that. So it's important to really, um, step number one, Admit to yourself, yes, there is something not right here. I am indulging in this and um, this is now beyond um, a pure pleasure. This is now an obsession. It is disrupting my social life. It is disrupting my occupational life. So like you could be shopping at work instead of doing work or during a lunch break with your colleagues, you could be, you know, watching a Netflix series like that's an alarm bell, right? being able to go back to you and to actually become self-aware and be like, what am I doing? What's mm. going on? Here? Yeah. That's, that's, that's a good one. The self-reflection mm. and being like, mm. uh, uh, like you said, when was the last time I called my loved ones, my family, mm. my friends, when was the last time I went out? When was the last time, like maybe I just wanted to skip that TV show and watch something else. When was the last time mm. I didn't have to buy something just because it was on mm. sale or just because it popped mm. up. Um, yes. Yeah. Yes. It, it, yes. I actually have a patient who fits our today's topic perfectly. She uh, she was new to Australia and she arrived uh, for an arranged marriage. She didn't know her husband um, and um, she landed with work, no social network. So she started doing all of the above. She was binge watching soap operas. She was um, overeating, which led to overweight. Uh, and she was con- constantly shopping, whether it was for the house, whether it was, you know, my shoes, bags, everything. Um, so she came to see me and um, I've recently spoken to her and I'm so proud of where she is now because we started looking at her nutritionally. We started looking at her holistically. What else is going on there? What underlying layers do we have of uh, health concerns apart from the mental health? And obviously a lot of changes and a lot of, you know, anxiety associated with those changes. Um And she's, she was able to overcome those compulsions. Uh, she has a healthy social network now. Uh, she only buys good quality things that last her a while. And she's got healthy uh, hobbies. You know, instead of calling them addictions now, we can easily call them hobbies. So she would go for a run with her uh, with her husband. She was actually was going to divorce him when she came to see me because she was like, I'm not, I'm not ready for this. I can't, you know, too many changes at once. 
Um, but uh, now they're running years, together. <laughs> yes, exactly. They actually were able to find mutual ground and understand <laughs> each other, and it made their relationship stronger. You know, it made it grow. Not so only are you a naturopath and a herbalist, but you're also a marriage counselor. <laughs> <laughs> I guess a little bit. Oh my god! Now that you say that, I actually got a few cases of people that I'm treating who later on got married. So maybe who knows? There you go. Oh, that, that, that's absolutely crazy. No, it's it's good seeing these great results um you know and and it's interesting that you said you gave us an example of someone who if you just spoke to me normally i would be like no i don't have an addiction but it's you just painted a perfect picture for us to understand that it doesn't have to be illegal things or it doesn't have to be um something that you know you're doing drugs or alcohol it could be other things obvious to others yes it doesn't have to be yeah obvious to you yeah, yeah, exactly. So, look, research has shown that addiction is a long-lasting and complex brain disease, right? So how does addiction actually affect the brain? You spoke a little bit about neuroplasticity and uh, that, you know, we are more likely to focus on a negative and negative behaviours and chase them and so forth. Are you able to add a bit more onto that? Anything else that you want to talk about? Absolutely, yes. You're like, so, yes, yes. <laughs> there's a lot. This is this my is jam. a huge topic. Yes, it's a huge topic. And I, like you said at the beginning, you can talk about it all day. Absolutely. Uh, and it's worth, you know, talking about all day. Um, it's just both you and I don't have that time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we'll jam pack it for the audience. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we'll try to be as compact and touch on the main points uh, as we go. But basically what happens in the brain is a cycle and imbalanced brain will trigger compulsive behavior. The compulsive behavior, which we call addiction, will lead to um, further damage to the brain. So it's a cycle. It's a loophole. In a healthy brain, um, you need all these chemicals to communicate with each other. So the way that it's done, you've got your nervous system, your central nervous system, you've got connections. They sort of look, look like roots uh, of the plant and they have, um, you know, tangles at the end. The chemical messages and the um, electric messages are transferred between the two and that's how the brain communicates. Uh, and, it, you know, it makes you happy, it makes you see better or it makes you sleep better, whatever it is. Um, and... In a healthy brain, it happens on demand as you need it. In an unhealthy brain, um, what we see is that the, there is insufficiency either A, of the receptors, uh, B, of the neurochemicals that are needed to communicate, uh, or a malfunction of all of the above. Um, because of it, the brain is struggling to get the ingredients that it needs. So it keeps making you do an activity that will generate those um, neurochemicals. Uh, we can link this then to the reward deficiency syndrome, where um, our focal point would be on the dopamine, particularly dopamine receptors, uh, which are lacking in that individual. So um, taking everything else into account, like are you stressed or not? Is it chronic stress? Do you have any pathogens? Uh, is there inflammation in your body? Um, do you get enough sleep? Is there enough um, nutrients to provide the building blocks for your neurochemicals? All of that would play a role into how much your brain can actually produce the dopamine and then touch that sensor in your brain to have the response that it looks for. What I work with... Um, all of my patients with mental health conditions is neuroinflammation. There's a lot of research now coming out so in the last five years on neuroinflammation and how much of an impact it has on mental health, how much it can aggravate it and reducing neuroinflammation can improve the symptoms. Um, the way that we'll now look at neuroinflammation is that it starts in the gut. What happens is when we have the digestive system that is wounded, so the, the lining of the digestive system uh, is wounded or injured, it now allows um, larger particles of undigested food to enter into the bloodstream. When that happens, the immune system triggers a response, which is an inflammatory cascade of events, as we know. Um, that inflammation then travels to the brain for the blood-brain barrier. Now, the blood-brain barrier is something that is really closely monitored. Only a couple of things can get through. But in a mental health individual, that barrier is a lot more permeable. It allows a lot more things to enter. So those cytokines, those immune, uh, immune cells, 
that are inflammatory, those immune compounds that are inflammatory, they can now enter the brain, um, which will then make your sensory receptors a lot more fiery, a lot more edgy, and it will Im impact your addictions, it will impact your depression, it will impact your anxiety. What I frequently see actually in clinic as well is that when a person comes with an addiction, they not only have an addiction, they also have um, other mental health um, conditions alongside it. Usually it's anxiety or depression or both. So yes, can be um, quite a disruptive cascade. Going back to the gut, uh, we know that 70% or more of serotonin, which is our happy neurotransmitter, is made in the digestive system with the right ingredients, the right digestive system and uh, the right bacteria in there. 50% um, of dopamine, which is our main focal point for addictions, is also made in the digestive system. We know that celiac patients are now coming up with anxiety and depression. Again, that connection between mind and the belly. 50% um, of schizophrenic patients have gastritis. Surprise, surprise. We have, uh, I think a few days ago only, that paper came out where they started treating bipolar disorder, successfully treating bipolar disorder with fecal transplantation. Again, gut and the mind. So definitely two and two go together and um, all treatment starts with the with the gut. Yeah, it's kind of like you're saying leaky gut. Now you're yes. saying there's a thing called like leaky brain. Absolutely what I'm saying. Yeah, wow, mm -hmm. that's, that's crazy to even think about that part of your addiction has to do with how your gut is. It's like that, you know, you wouldn't really draw the two together mm -hmm. if you're just thinking about addictions. You're like, well, just stop. Uh, how about you just stop doing, have a, just turn off Netflix, stop getting a subscription. How yes. about you just uh, pause your credit card or how about, you know, just stop eating not that, that food. Um, yeah, it's not that simple. And then the whole aspect of food being involved in this, um, it's kind of like you're eating that food that, you know, just comes quickly to your front door. That's probably mm -hmm. that's probably not um, my issue with it is probably not kept in the right temperature that it's supposed to be kept mm. on its way here. So when it comes to you here, maybe filled with bacteria, maybe filled with parasites oh, already. Absolutely. Yeah, yes. maybe. And, and it's mm. in a plastic container. Yes, please give me all those uh, toxins. Not, I'm just joking. But, um, you know, all of these things, like if we just really dig deep into it, you're not setting yourself up by sitting down and being addicted. I'm not just saying as a hobby and relaxing, yes. but sitting down, yes. watching Netflix or sitting down and, and buying. Uh, you know, being addicted yes. to shopping and getting yes. these takeaway food coming, you're not setting yourself up to break this circle. Yes. Well, we got to understand it's a compulsion, right? Uh, it is not just, you know, your time passing in a healthy balance. The yeah. idea is to get a healthy balance. There is nothing wrong with watching, uh, you know, a show or a movie. There is nothing wrong with buying clothes or yes. consuming food. It's the obsession. It's the compulsive behavior that we we're talking about um, that really, you know, has a detrimental effect on your social network, on your quality of life and on your health and on your mental health. And it's mm. a cycle that keeps getting worse. It's interesting how you mentioned the, the food that has been, you know, sitting somewhere else and took some time to arrive to you that was sitting in your fridge later on. Um, one of the chemicals that plays a role uh, in, um, in our addictions and in our mental health that I don't hear frequently being discussed, but has a big, big part to play is histamine. Um, yes. And histamine is created exactly when your food is getting old because of all the bacteria that we can also include, you know, aged meats, all the sausages, all the dairy, aged cheeses in there and all the things like that. Um, so we're used to thinking of histamine as, you know, an, um, an allergy. So we're like, oh, let's take an antihistamine, you know, they'll kill it down. Um, histamine also plays a role in obsessions. It also can give you a migraine. You know, it can it can increase your um, or decrease your heat tolerance depending on where it sits. So it's definitely an inflammatory component that mm. we want to uh, control and monitor. So I'm really, really uh, pleased that you've mentioned that uh, aging foods and how they can have an impact yeah. on our mental That's health. That's the first thing that someone says they've got migraines. I'm like, do not eat leftovers. 
Yes. <laughs> That's one of the Absolutely. worst things that you can do. And mm-hmm. I know coming from, you know, Instagram land where batch cooking on a Sunday is the way to go mm-hmm. and the thing to do, yes. but that actually may be causing your mental health issues. And people are like, what? Batch cooking can cause my mental health? That's an mm-hmm. actually really good topic mm-hmm. to talk about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is like actually like, great. <laughs> That's actually and a really it falls good in perfectly into today as well because yeah. people are like, well, this is a good habit, isn't it? This is a good, you know, thing that I'm doing because I'm prepping food, I'm looking after myself and all of that. Well, uh Depending Maybe not for you. Yes. yes, yes, yes. Exactly. Maybe not for you. For mm-hmm. someone else, a hundred percent. But for yes. you, maybe not. And yes, exactly. cooking fresh food, it can be, you know, um, daunting. It can be time-consuming in such a mm-hmm. busy environment. Being like, hey, I got to prep my veggies. Got to prep whatever I'm gonna do mm-hmm. every single day to cook something. You know, um, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people are like, I didn't sign up to be a full-time chef to have optimal health. You know. Yes, exactly. Um, yes. So you know that. But ultimately, this is what's gonna bring you to health. You want to feel good, you have to learn how to cook, get in that kitchen, do that thing. Yeah, you're so right. And simple. You don't have to spend, you know, longer than an hour in the kitchen. You can spend 20 minutes. It's absolutely doable. Yeah, yeah, 100%. So, look, we spoke a little bit. You spoke a little bit about serotonin and dopamine. Um, What would you say is one of the key ones to play a role in addiction? Like, is it like all the neurotransmitters, like uh, neuroepinephrine and and, and, and like even histamine, um, uh, um, dopamine, um, serotonin? What, 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 what are the key ones that play a role in addictions? I'll mention some, but it's definitely a dance of um, a huge cascade of neurochemicals. This is not just neurotransmitters. This is also hormones. This is, there's a lot in there that plays a role. Um, We'll start with dopamine as a focal point because this is our main um, um, point of pleasure sensations of uh, joy of motivation and this is why people become addicted to a large large degree alongside all the other things so there is something that is going wrong with the dopamine transfer uh, whether there's not enough of it or um, there is not enough receptors for it as we've mentioned with the uh, reward deficiency syndrome Um, When we're low on dopamine, we can have depression. So it's not only the addictions, it's also impacting your depression, it's impacting your anxiety, it's impacting your sex drive, it's impacting your joyful life. Um, You can become quite uh, apathetic uh, in life and um, also leads to cravings and binge eating. We might crave stimulants as well when we're low on dopamine. So coffee and energy drinks, that's all there. Lack of mm-hmm. focus. We got to understand that this is um, an hourly occurring event, sometimes more often than that. So it's, it's, it's a constant homeostasis that the body is seeking. And if we don't have enough ingredients in in order for this to be produced then the body will constantly push you to do things that you don't want to do as a human that are not benefiting you as a human going to serotonin as a neurotransmitter um this is our happy neurotransmitter as we most people would know it but it's also responsible for your appetite again lack of it will cause binge eating um it's controls your digestive system, you know, how it functions, how quickly it metabolizes food, what's going on with that food, um, responsible for sensitivity to pain. So if we're working and I work with pain management and frequently this comes up because Mm. you're you're extremely sensitive to pain when you don't have serotonin, whether it's emotional pain or physical and mood, of course. Sweet tooth, I often see people with low serotonin, you know, craving those sugary foods um, and with low self-esteem. So when you beat yourself up and you think, oh, you know, I'm um, not pretty, not clever, not earning enough money, whatnot, um, it could not be necessarily your thoughts. It could be your serotonin levels are extremely low. Um, Plays again in the in anxiety and in depression so the way that i would picture it is um, a low serotonin patient has constipation obsession and um, aggravation Mm. this is the typical picture another one that i feel like is worth mentioning is gaba Uh, this neurotransmitter lacking that neurotransmitter makes us um, dwell on stressful situations of the past we can't overcome that thought process so we've got that racing thoughts stuck in us sounds like compulsion sounds like obsession and there is a lot of GABA research showing that uh, imbalance in GABA can lead to cravings and binge drinking binge um, sugar consumption 
So if, if you are the one sitting at home, uh, you know, munching on those uh, sweets, um, it could be GABA at play as well as dopamine. Mm. Um, endorphins, of course, you know, they have a huge impact and we usually associate endorphins with um, exercise. And this is correct because we generate a lot of endorphins when we exercise. Not having enough will make you antisocial. So you might start actually avoiding your neighbors, avoiding speaking to anyone on the phone. So movement will give yeah. you an ability to socialize better. That's crazy. So if someone goes for a run a few weeks, all of a sudden they're more social. Yes. <laughs> for yes, example, exactly. that's crazy. Yes. <laughs> Next day they'll be, you know, up for it to go and catch up with yeah. their friends if they've got enough of that endorphin going. So they just so need to So putting yourself forward. in a dark room like your patient that you spoke about shopping online compulsively, getting this food, eating this food and watching soap operas compulsively, that's going to make you isolated and not want to be social around people yes. because it's going to drop yes. your neurotransmitters. Absolutely, yes. Wow. The brain doesn't differentiate. It, can't, it doesn't have that judgment point where, oh, this will be better for me and this will give me all the, you know, all the neurotransmitters I need. It doesn't have that judgment. That's up to you as a human, as a whole being to make that decision. Um, to have a holistic life, to have a fulfilling life, and that mm. includes movement. We can't exist without movement. Um, 100%. All the muscles will uh, atrophy, so we definitely have to um, uh, definitely have to put it, you know, as a as a focal point of uh, looking after the mental health. Yeah. Um, histamine we've spoken about, but there is also glucose and insulin. Yes, I'm they so glad actually, you mentioned that one. Yes, mm, yes. Mm, they actually um, monitor and modulate dopamine uh, levels in the brain. Um, so the three of them interact really beautifully. And uh, if you don't pay enough attention, you can not only end up with mental health conditions, but also, you know, cardiovascular and um, diabetic. So have to watch out where your sugar levels are sitting. Where is your insulin sitting? Um, the receptors in the brain uh, for glucose and the receptors in the brain for dopamine are so close to each other that they frequently bounce off and they might mistakenly sweep, uh, you know, swap and so on. Again, another reason why you might be craving sugar because it's such close proximity so your brain is like right i can't get any dopamine give me sugar then you know as a substitute so because it can't differentiate it is not that um it doesn't have that judgment point mm. but you as a human as a whole being you do um i feel like we should also mention cortisol which can be good in short term um you know events it goes up and down throughout the day so we definitely need this there but when we're lacking it we can start craving um, salts and sugars or we can start experiencing anxiety and interestingly the sex hormones particularly like uh, oxytocin that modulates your um, your cortisol levels so if you've got uh, enough oxytocin and we know this is a love hormone when um, mothers give birth to their babies uh, or when we're hugging one another or when we're experiencing those you know deep feelings of love um that will control your cortisol that will make you sleep better that will make mm. you feel better overall hence your addictions will improve or your obsessions and compulsions will so i'm guessing you're saying you have a choice netflix or hug someone and you'll get the same yes. type of feeling in a way <laughs> that like, actually depends that depends who so you're hugging what are you watching uh, it depends on what you watch. <laughs> so you could be watching for example you're watching a crime show yeah. What your body can be generating during that moment is dopamine, adrenaline, uh, cortisol, and this is what it thrives on. So it gives you that anxiety, it gives you that thrill, you know, and that euphoria. Or you could be watching pet shows. Yeah. That would be giving completely different emotions, right? True. It will give you dopamine, but it will also give you oxytocin. So you'd be all cuddly and cute. Yeah. It, again, it's quite different. So it depends on the type of addiction. It depends on the type of the show that you watch. It depends on exactly what it is that you're involved in. And this is when we can uh, do proper investigative uh, findings um, when you are with a practitioner. Mm. to find out what is it that your body's lacking yeah um see i and, can't i can't i can't watch action i don't like action movies like everyone's like mm. oh, i love james bond i love this stuff i'm like the noise of all those guns uh, mm. everything hectic like that just makes my cortisol rise up the worst thing i could yep. do is watch one of those movies at night like i can't mm -hmm. there's i can't Definitely. do that 
I always say, oh, let's watch something cute, funny, like, you know, if I'm going to watch something, because I'm not really a movie type of person, I'll, you know, if we're going to watch something like that, like, let's watch something that's going to make me feel good. Like, I'm like, my life is stressful as it is. Why would I watch someone kill someone? Like, Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) I'm so glad you said that because uh, this is precisely what happens to a lot of people. They're not aware that they're engaging their mind into quite a negative cycle of visionary input um, that is stimulating the cortisol even further. There is, you know, fueling their anxiety and then fueling their addiction or compulsion as a result. Mm. Uh, a lot of us are not paying attention to that, but absolutely, this is exactly what happens. I've heard someone say recently that do not let your brain watch anything that you don't want to experience as a human. Wow. Wow. And that just changes. It changes everything, doesn't it? Wow. There's so many people that are like, I am turning that off and that off. And I'm putting mm. more of that. I'm playing more mm. of that. <laughs> yeah, that's a good, that's a good way to. Everything. It's a good way to kind of go through everything and determine what you want to see and what you want to feel mm. and what you want to mm. expose yourself to. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Um, we remember ourselves. Remember everything. They have memory. They store that memory. Um, the brain stores that memory. So everything that you're exposed to, it's it's in you for the rest of your life. Yeah, You've got to wow. ask yourself, where are you driving yourself with that kind of input, with that kind of information? And mm-hmm. absolutely, by no means, some things have to be acknowledged. They have to be recognized, respected, and addressed um, in the information world. You know, they have to be worked with. But mm-hmm. are you making it worse for yourself? Are you perpetuating and, you know, fueling that um, that neuronal pathway that is quite um, aggravating? That's so such these a good question. Are... That's such a good question. Mm. The audience mm. might be asking themselves, oh, what do I want to expose myself to? What do yeah. I want to watch? What do I want to hear? Yeah. What do I want to feel? Um, yeah, so many questions. And, and, and the other thing is, is addictions run in families, yeah? So, oh, well, well, tend to run in families. I'm not saying they run in families, but sometimes when you see someone, you go, um, oh, yeah, my mum had an addiction or my dad had an addiction or my sister does or whatever. It kind of runs, it, it tends to run in families. Um, from your knowledge, are there any genes that are linked to addictions or is it more of a I see, I do type of thing that you're grown up with it? It's the whole debate of nature versus nurture. Mm, <laughs> yes. So if I were to go back to science, uh, at the moment what they're finding is that there is no one gene that is responsible for uh, an addiction per se. It is more of a cluster of genes, and we're talking clusters and clusters. Um, there is one worth mentioning that is D3, uh, sorry, DRD2, uh, and it's a variant uh, A1, which is linked to the um, reward deficiency syndrome where we will have a, a malfunction of the dopamine receptors, uh, lack of dopamine receptors, which will then cause um, the body to self-heal. So in order for it to receive those dopamine um it will engage you into activity, compulsive activity. So we can see severe um, food obsessions or cocaine obsessions. It's, it becomes quite quite a profound part of your life. Um, but usually um, anything to do with dopamine um, deficiency syndrome or serotonin deficiency syndrome genes, um, extremely rare. So we only have like 20 cases in the world for the dopamine deficiency and um, mental health is going to be on the last, um, you know, uh, step of healing for that person mm. because dopamine also affects our uh, motor function. And these people usually from very early on struggle with, uh, with the motor function and movement in general. Yeah. Uh, yeah but it doesn't have really that much to play, um, in mental health at the moment and as we mm. know with genes they can be upregulated or downregulated just like we do it with cardiovascular predispositions with diabetic or even cancer predispositions um, which brings us back to remembering that the body can only do uh, its best when it's provided the right ingredients so whatever fluids it's got that's all it has in order for it to create neurotransmitters, receptors, you know, um, and whatnot. So if we're not providing it enough fuel, then how is it supposed to function properly? Mm. This is how we up or down regulate uh, what is going on um, in our mental health. 
uh, area. Uh, another thing that I want to mention, like you said, you know, is it as I see, so I do so. So this is parental behavior and having a child with a fresh new brain that is super plastic. Uh, we absolutely absorb everything that our parents do or um, people that were raising us. Um, and we take it as a blueprint pretty much for the rest of our life. Um, if they had certain habits, most likely we will do too. Um, it goes as far as even um, gestational uh, existence of the baby. And in here, we not only have, um, so what the mother was going through during that pregnancy process, the amniotic fluids that the baby, baby was sitting in, it would absorb all those uh, neurochemicals and other chemicals uh, that the mother is experiencing first trauma and stress that she might be enduring but also for the nutrients that she's uh, going through so the baby's starting to learn already in your belly how to respond to the world that it's about to mm. come out to early childhood trauma huge huge topic at the moment uh, in mental health um, conditions and in addictions always um, when we are young we are quite impressionable right and we get those responses, um, the neurochemical responses from events that happen to us. So when an, an event is negative, as we've spoken to, uh, about before, can have quite a severe impact on the brain. If it's a young brain, what will happen is that the receptors will become a lot more sensitive now for the rest of your life. That means that as an adult, you experiencing a minor stress will still have a huge impact on your brain and on your neuronal chemistry um, as into comparison to a child who haven't endured um, uh, an early childhood trauma have to take that into consideration which again makes you a little bit more prone to having mental health conditions mm. and uh, being aware that this is what happened to me, this is where it led. So now I have to, you know, implement things in my life that are slightly different to my next door neighbor who, you know, is um, a little had a healthier childhood. Yeah, it's so interesting. So many different, so many different factors, and even the fact <laughs> of going back to what you spoke about and about inflammation, it's kind of mm. also considering how much inflammation do you have, and that might be genetic because of might not be genetic, but lifestyle wise because of what your family that you're growing up in is eating, maybe inflammatory. So therefore, there's a higher chance of getting mental health issues, including addictions and so many things. Because inflammation, it doesn't just choose. Oh, I'm just going to inflame this organ. It just goes everywhere including the brain what you spoke about yeah. earlier too which is absolutely crazy so you know what what my question is now is 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 a naturopath right uh, you know is, is it possible to overcome addictions and what role does a naturopath have in this journey or can it is have? possible yes it is possible to overcome an addiction um i have to probably mention right away that decision alone is not going to be enough. We have to understand that uh, mental health, we're already struggling with the motivation aspect of it because dopamine, responsible for motivation, issues with dopamine. Usually what we see when we run on that uh, decision-making willpower, you know, motivation uh, kind of aspect when we're trying to quit, when we're trying to overcome a compulsion, um, usually lasts about seven days, maybe a little bit longer, you know, a healthier individual um, but you're most likely destined to return back to where you started um, and there is nothing wrong with trying as many times as it takes and I want people to understand that um, but um, we are experiencing potentially um, a lot of nutritional deficiencies in that individual neuroinflammation systemic inflammation there could be underlying health conditions that we are not aware of there could be pathogens in there that are impacting that inflammation um, but also emotional blocks so having those patterns or that um, trauma stored um, that the cells have the memory of that are keeping you stagnant in that um, habit and in that behavior Sometimes I would refer to it as, a, you know, you're probably having secondary benefits from the situation where you're at. And this, this now takes us a little bit into psychology, um, but um, talking about emotional blocks, being able to release that um, fixed feeling, particularly um, maybe even unconscious feeling, will usually give you a burst um, of moving forward and staying on the right track as well. 
um, I feel like it's really important to have the holistic approach um, in order to succeed because we don't like failing. Um, I often bring up uh, Bill Gates in that circumstance when I explain it to my patients. Um, not many people know that he had to go for 1,800 um, business interviews before he actually found someone who would take his idea on board. 1,000, that means 1,789 failures. How many of us are prepared for that? <laughs> exactly. So that's what I mean by don't be afraid to fail and keep trying. Even if it's, you know, an unsuccessful one, you're getting a step closer to where you want to be. It's a natural part of life, you know, to try and try again. Uh, when we talk about neutropathy and what neutropathy can do, we actually look at a human uh, as a whole. We respect your journey as an individual. We look at your health history, but we also look at your ancestors. What did they do? What did your parents do? What did your grandparents do? Where did they live? What did they eat? What did you grow up on? So we take all of that into consideration. I always work with my patients uh, on their inflammation levels. That includes, obviously, uh, neuroinflammation. And we do that through the gut. Uh, so we would usually encourage um, anti-inflammatory foods. And your uh, recent um, podcast on um, how to decrease inflammation, that was really, really good. I'll actually mention that with my patients as well. I'll refer them to you. Um, but also promoting promoting them um, the manufacturing of dopamine, serotonin, and GABA. And it can be done for food. Absolutely have to be done. Look at our microbiome there. We do investigative testing. What is going on else? Where are actually those neurotransmitters sitting? Where are your hormones? Is your thyroid okay? Is actually your thyroid playing a role in this? Or is mm. your adrenal glands? Or maybe there are some path pathogens or infections that we're not aware of. Um, so even though long-term we're working on the inside in order to restore healthy homeostasis, um, I will still give you short-term um, symptomatic relief. And you can expect that um, in a form of um, herbs or really dense nutrients to support you through that stage where you're lacking motivation, but you are now starting to do changes to get you through that, you know, sweet window where we now need some time before we can see the long-term treatment to kick in and actually have a long-lasting effect for the rest of your life. I also work with emotional blocks and those stagnant feelings to help people go past, um, you know, a, a stagnant situation in their health journey. You can see that sometimes when a person is doing everything right mm. by the book and they're not shifting, they're not moving and they're not getting the results that they're expecting. This is when I usually switch on the, um, the emotional work and we could do that with NET or flower essences. Um, NET stands for neuroemotional technique and it's quite brilliant in its achievement. It can cut down the treatment length um, drastically, really impressive. The way that it works is it identifies um, the emotion that is currently holding you back. It also finds out the organ where that memory is stalled and then it helps you release it. We have to do it one-on-one. -on -one. It doesn't necessarily have to be faced um, in the same room. It's preferable that it is in the same room, but it doesn't have to be. But it's not something you take or drink. We communicate. We communicate with your body and with your mind. Uh, with flower essences, um, this is energy medicine, and it has been used for centuries. Uh, it combines water, sun, and flower blooms. And as my colleague said recently, we're made out of water, sun, and energy. So what else that can be as efficient and targeting those, um, those emotional blocks that we have inside? This is a drop medicine usually, and it's quite individual that um, I will select for each patient and um, we'll have, that, uh, have them take that usually twice a day. There's obviously a lot more that can be done um, for the individual and a lot of it will depend on where they're sitting um, in their life and what other aspects of their health uh, do we need to look into. Yeah, wow. You can definitely see that naturopathy has a role to assist an individual with addictions. 
um, if that be you know, Netflix addictions, shopping addictions, food addictions, any type of addictions that's causing um, harm to you and, and your lifestyle and people around you. Um, lentropathy definitely has a huge role in it and you've got experience in that, which is absolutely amazing. So now the audience knows all this stuff about addictions and is so interested and is there like, all right, Valeria, wh- what do I do? Like what are some practical, what are like three practical tips that I can do right now to to um, overcome my addiction or to break the cycle of that addiction? Like what are three simple things that I can do right now um, to assist me? What would you say? I've got a lot more than three. Oh, <laughs> go for it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to start with the fact that I want people to recognize that this is a marathon. Don't take it as a short sprint. Have that dedication to yourself and to your health. Um, Prepare for gradual changes rather than um, drastic. I'm going to change everything tonight. I'm not shopping ever again. I'm going to unsubscribe from Netflix. Gradual steps going back to you know healthy balanced lifestyle right you might need that netflix next week you know when you've got people over so um need to understand that we already lack um as mental health um um, patients we already lack uh motivation as a dopamine so can't rely on that go back to your why why do you want the change what is it for you like what are you looking forward to is it spending more time with your friends is it going on a horse ride you know what is your jam what is your um, passion that will help you come out of this or be your driving force coming out of it that leads me to self-awareness when you're sitting on your lunch break and you're scrolling through social media, which, by the way, can also be uh, an addictive habit, it's designed as a pokies machine so that it generates more dopamine as you scroll. Um, next time you're doing that, ask yourself, what am I feeling right now? Where am I? Hmm. How, how do I feel inside? Am I hungry or do I need a blanket? Do I need a hug or what is it? Do I need to talk to someone? Do I need to go for a walk? So being a little bit more self-aware. Looking into food, looking into your digestive system and improving that. Reducing your anti-inflammatory foods. I think most people know what those foods are. Your audience would. If not, let's just label it as everything processed. And increasing those those foods that will help us generate um, anti-inflammation, but also dopamine, serotonin, um, GABA. I'll just mention a couple of foods that can help us in that. Uh, There'll be uh, salmon or omega-3 rich fish. Uh, It would be uh, turkey, which is rich in tryptophan, which will then convert into serotonin. Bananas but particularly banana pill. I don't know many people who actually eat banana pill, but there is a lot of that, of serotonin uh, components in that. But bananas as well have some. And pineapple, absolutely. A game changer. Because of its uh, bromelain and also serotonin um, effects, it will reduce your inflammation, boost your mood. Um, definitely a go-to. Uh, oats. Oats will help us with GABA receptors and will help us with GABA uh, neurotransmitter levels. And it will make you more stable, more resistant to stress. That leads me to stress, managing stress. I don't think in the world that we currently have, we can avoid stress. If you can, by all means, go for it. Otherwise, learning how to manage uh, is probably step number one. I would love to say meditate, but I know from my patients' feedback that um, people who have mental health conditions uh, are usually the last ones to meditate, even though they need it the most. So I'm going to say deep diaphragm breathing. So do those 10 minutes of deep diaphragm breathing a day and you will start to notice how you're a lot more calmer, a lot more calm and your brain is is also experiencing a lot more clarity. That will allow you when you're scrolling next time to actually not go for that advertisement of the new bag and be like, I'm actually okay today. That then leads me to recognizing small wins. So yes, you've skipped that commercial. You didn't act on it. You didn't act on that Netflix show. Write that down. Pat yourself on the back. As mental health um, clients, people usually are quite, um, they're prone to um, perfectionism, which makes them overlook the small wins. 
you, if you're in it on a long run for the long term, you have to choose. You have to choose to tune into those little wins and be like, "Yes, I did well then," and "Yes, I did really good the other day," and recognizing that. Um, to help you enormously, I highly recommend lavender essential oil, and I um, I communicate with the psychologists uh, with patients back and forth, and some of them get back to me saying that their patients actually stopped seeing them. Uh, so I went back to see their treatment and all of those patients had lavender essential oil either recommended to them or they had lavender in their um, herbal mix tincture. Um, I asked them why and they said, I just didn't feel like I need to anymore. Lavender has mild uh, antidepressive effects uh, as well as uh, helps us calm down and experience life um, a lot easier. I know that there are some um, rehabilitation rehabilitation centers in Australia where um, psychologists and psychiatrists would use lavender essential oil as um, as an aromatherapy in the room during the consultation with their patients. Um, usually, these patients are going through withdrawals, and we're talking about severe withdrawals, like um, severe alcohol withdrawal or severe uh, methadone or um, uh, heroin withdrawals, and when you're going for something like that, it's really difficult for you to concentrate and have a conversation. You're going mm. for a lot of pain. So in order for the practitioner to find out what's going on with their patient, they're using lavender essential oil um, to calm down the nervous system so they can have that interaction um, quite widely used. Yeah, I suggest that. Yeah, wow. You just gave us so many absolutely <laughs> amazing tips. You're like, I'm not giving you three. I'm going to give you more. So how blessed are we? <laughs> <laughs> We're so lucky to have someone like you share such absolutely amazing information. And there is hope out there if you have any type of addiction. And I will put your details down underneath for people to contact you, get in touch with you. But before we close off, I wanted to know what is your best kept natural health hack that you may do every day, might do once a day, twice a week, something along those lines that just gets you to optimal health, Valeria. That's drinking water by far. I drink a lot of water. I, <laughs> I, love pay, that. Attention. <laughs> I pay attention to whether it's filtered or not. I've tried several uh, filters over the years. Um, so I can actually taste the difference in water. I know some people can't. I can easily and very quickly taste the difference uh, in different water types. Um, but that's something I do all the time. If 100%. I skip um, enough water for the day, I'll I'll notice it. My body will tell me. But that's what self awareness does. Just in t- tuning into your body um, and being able to listen to those messages and what they actually mean. Yeah, wow. And I think maybe I mentioned so simple. So, <laughs> so simple, right? <laughs> water, drink water. <laughs> um, I also spend a lot of time in nature, with nature, touching nature growing nature that keeps me grounded. I absolutely love that. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing all of this amazing information with us. Thank you for having me. You're most welcome. And and addiction is such a heavy topic, but you've put a light spin onto it, um, not to be so down on us um, and, and, and give us hope. You gave the audience hope that there is a way that you can overcome these addictions. And like you said, it is a marathon and it can be done with the support of a natural, you know, either a naturopath or a herbalist or whoever you decide to be able to assist you creating that um, whole practitioner levels around you to assist you with your goals. Um, And then you even mentioned your why, like knowing your why, why do you want to get healthier? Oh my gosh. episode was jam-packed with amazing information (laughs) i do i do really really appreciate it i'm going to put down all of your details in the show notes below so the audience can contact you um jump on instagram where you've got some absolutely amazing information or even see you as a practitioner so i really really do appreciate it valeria thank you so much thank you for joining us on natural podcast and remember the missing link between failure and success is your health Content and information provided here is opinion of Mahela Raguse and is for information purposes only and does not constitute medical advice. It is not intended to provide medical advice or take the place of medical advice or any current treatment you're undertaking. Consult your own medical professionals for any medical issues that you may be having. This entire disclaimer also applies to any guests or contributors to the Natural Health Podcast. It is advised that you consult your doctor or healthcare professional in relation to any health concerns you may be having. Mahela Raguse does not take responsibility for any health consequences which occur from a person listening, viewing, or reading this content. And in a circumstance, 
circumstances show the natural podcast Mahela Raguse any guests or contributors to the natural podcast or any employees associates or affiliates of Mahela Raguse be responsible for damages arising from the information provided on the natural podcast by listening to this podcast you agree not to use this podcast as medical advice to treat any medical conditions in either yourself or others please note if you're taking prescription do not stop your medication or start a new protocol including but not limited to supplements diet lifestyle changes without consulting a doctor or healthcare professional if you or any person has a medical concern you should consult with your healthcare provider or seek other professional medical advice never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something that you have read or heard on the natural podcast or in any linked materials if you think you may have a medical emergency call your doctor or emergency services immediately neither Mahela Raguz nor the publisher of this context takes responsibility for the possible health consequences of any person or persons reading or listening or following the information in the educational content.